So this morning, living in humility, living in Christ, I want to start off with the key verses um, were uh, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get to that, but I want to start in 127. So Philippians 127, that's where we're going to start. It's going to come there, and I'm going to read from the uh, NLT. It says this, Paul says this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Now, he's talking to the Philippians, and, and the Philippians, uh, under the Roman system, they were a, a colonia, not a colony, but a colonia. And so that meant that they were like a little Rome. And so what you did as a Roman citizen, you lived like Romans. And he's reminding them, he says, above all, you must. And the verb there is in the imperative, the present imperative. And that, so that means it's not, well, if you want to, this is what you should do. It's no, you must do this. You must live as a citizen of heaven. And, you know, you think about that. And, and, and what we've got to think about is, you know, in, in the, under the Roman system, they would say something like this, Caesar is Lord. Under the Christian system, they said this, Jesus is Lord. Uh, do you see there that there's a big com- contrast there, isn't there? And so he's reminding them, hey, listen. Yes, you live in the, Roman, in the Roman world, but you're a citizen of heaven. That means you belong to Jesus. And so he says, you must remember that. And when, when it's in the imperative, in the present tense, that means you don't just do it one time. You've got to remind yourself over and over and over that your citizenship is in heaven. And therefore, because it's in heaven, you're going to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. You know how appropriate that is in the culture we live in. That we remind ourselves we're citizens of heaven. Because the culture wants to squeeze us into their mold, don't they? And you see it intensifying, at least in my lifetime, I see it intensifying More and more to conform, to conform. But the word of God says what? Don't conform to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know how you renew your mind? You focus on Jesus. You focus on on, on the word of, of God. Now, as we're looking at 2019... Here's a challenge I want to give to you and I want to give to myself. As we look from this day to the end of 2019, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing at the end of 2019 if we were more like Jesus? See, how many of you know you have to choose to be more like Jesus? Because that goes against the grain of our culture. 
You live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. What does that look like? And see, the the thing that the world wants us to do is to compromise and become more like them. And Paul is reminding the Philippians and therefore reminding us, no. You don't compromise. There's a standard. And it's not the standard that necessarily you were brought up on. In this congregation, I imagine there are lots of traditions that you've experienced. Very few of you in here would be vineyardites. I mean, you've cut your teeth on vineyard since you were born. Uh, That would only be if you're 25 years probably or less. If you're older than that, vineyard didn't exist. And so you come from different traditions. And so in that tradition, it's molded and shaped you into the person that you've become. And so that we make decisions based on what we have come. And and here's the reality. He says, no, what you've got to do is you've got to conduct yourself in a way that conforms to the teachings of Christ. Because how many of you know this? We have some teachings that we've conformed to, but they're not necessarily the teachings of Christ. And so we've got to weigh that out. I don't want to interject something here. Autumn, thank you, you and your Gore team plus Christian, for worship this morning. And the reason that I say that is because you, people don't know Audie. This is a young girl that she had to wait to a certain birthday before she would even say hello to me. And I reminded her when that birthday took place, I said, this is the day, isn't it? You're supposed to say hello to me. And and so she did. So she's come a long ways. And so uh, thank you. And so here we are. Okay, now he's talking about citizenship and what that's going to look like and the way we conduct ourselves. How many of you know we really are to be different. Different than the world that we live in. Noticeably different. Our language, our attitudes, our actions are going to be different. And it's not because we elevate ourselves to a higher level. Like, you know, hey, we can walk an eggshell. Sorry, you guys can't. No, it's that we've been called to a higher standard. And so we have to walk that out. Now we jump down to verses 1 through 5 in chapter 2. It says, um, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender, and compassionate. Now, how many of you know those are rhetorical questions? And the answer is yes. In each one of those cases, the answer is yes. 
And so he's assuming that the answer is yes. And then he says, then, since that's true, and since it's a big yes there, then make me truly happy by doing three things. Agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Now, how many of you have discovered that's difficult? It's difficult even for you and your spouse. See, believe it or not, Jan and I don't always agree wholeheartedly on everything. But he's saying, if you want to make me happy, agree wholeheartedly with each other. What, you, what he's saying is we're on the same team. We have different ideas. We have different theological backgrounds. But he says, hey, we've got to, because we're in community together, we've got to agree wholeheartedly with each other. And, you know, sometimes that just means we're just going to agree to disagree. And we're not going to do it in a grummy, a grumpy kind of way. We're going to do it because we love each other. And he goes on, the second thing that I, I like for you to do is to love one another. You know, First John 4, 7, 8, we used to sing that a long time ago. You know, I won't sing it for you. But the, the gist of it is we're going to love each other in spite of our differences, in spite of our disagreements. And then he says, and then work together with one mind in one purpose. How many of you know this? When God raises up a leader of a church, he places a vision in their heart. Now, more than one vision is division. And so what you have to do, you have to decide, okay, am I going to follow the vision that the fathers put in this man's heart, or it could be a lady, in this lady's heart, or am I going to grind against it all the time? Now, according to this, you're not going to make Paul happy, and you're not going to make God happy if that's the case. And what I suggest to people, if, if you cannot get on board with the vision, you need to go someplace else where that vision lines up with yours. Or either that or allow God to do something different in your life. You know, you just can't, you just can't be like that. And so he's going to go on and he's going to say this. There are three things that he's going to say that you aren't supposed to do. And there's three, two things that you must do if we're going to do this. It's like, you know, you've you got to change your clothes. That means you've got you to change. You've got to put something new on. Well, that means you've got to put something old off. And so if we're going to do these things, if we're going to be this citizen of heaven, that means we've got to jettison some stuff. And we've got to put new stuff in its place. And he says, one of the things that we got to jettison, he says, is don't be selfish. <laughs> How many of you discovered that's difficult? Because you know why? We're selfish people. And it starts real young, doesn't it? We took the kids to see Mary Poppins. It's the, I forgot what the name of it, but it's Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah, 
Yeah, the return of Mary Poppins. Or Mary Poppins Returns. Okay, anyway. In, in that, they have a very graphic illustration of what it is to be selfish. There's this bull that's their mother's. And, and they're financially in difficulty. And so the one boy says, we need to sell this. The other two go, no. And so here you have these three fighting over this bowl. And guess what happens? Yeah, the bowl gets broken. That's the kind of selfishness he's talking about here. And in fact, uh, the, the English Standard Version is a little better. It, it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, how many of you know ambition is not a bad thing? But selfish ambition is a little different. You know what selfish ambition focuses on? Me. It's all about me and and what I want. And what it does, it removes the attitude of servanthood. It's what is best for me. What can I get out of this? How will I be empowered by this, how will it make me look good? That's what it's, it's selfish ambition. Now, here's, I want you to do me a favor right now. I want you to close your eyes. And this is just going to be for 30 seconds. And I know for some of you, 30 seconds with your eyes closed in church, that's like, oh, my gosh. Is the trumpet going to sound while I got my eyes closed? No, Listen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Father. Father, is there anything in my life that would be considered a selfish ambition? And if there is, would you reveal that to me? And would you help me to deal with it? All right, it's been 30 seconds. You can open your eyes back up. Now, for some of you, that 30 seconds was a lifetime. For others, though, you, God was just beginning to speak to you. Well, this, he's going to continue to speak to you. And so whatever it is that he has revealed to you or that he will reveal to you, allow him to help you deal with that. You've got to get rid of the selfish ambition. How many of you know that we live in a country in a time right now where selfish ambition is unbelievably strong. I mean, do we see it in, in, in the political arena? Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or you're a Republican or you're an independent. 
You want what you want. There's a lot of selfish ambition and greed and desire for power in the world that we live in. That's the first thing he says that you need to jettison. And then he goes on, he says, and and don't try to impress others. What's one of the first things that people will ask you about yourself? What do you do? And if you think it isn't at the status that it should be, you know, you'll change it a little bit. Like, you don't ride on the back of a garbage truck picking up refuge. Well, no. You're an environmental engineer. Doesn't that sound better? That's what we do, see? How many of you have ever been... Don't raise your hand, please. A name dropper. You know what a name dropper is? It's like this. You know, hey, I'll just use Urban Meyer as an example. Urban Meyer, he's an Ohio guy, you know. Yeah, he came down here and coached in Florida for a while, but he went back up there where he should be in God's country. And, and, and you know, he's doing a good job there. And you're telling somebody about that, and they go, oh, yeah. I went to Urban Meyer's office, and we had coffee together. <laughs> well, okay, can I touch you? You, you, you know? Or, or name dropper like, like this. This is hilarious. Several years ago, I, I was a, an official of lots of different sports, but I was also a football official. And there's this guy, he came down, and, oh, he had these impeccable credentials. And so he got on this crew, a crew that I would later be on, and the particular guy that was the referee of that crew, I mean, he wanted to do it by the numbers. And so, okay, how many of you know in football you have 10 yards is, is the line to gain? And, and they have these poles there. And in, in the middle of them is the down box, and that moves the forward progress till you make a first down. Well, when they call for the referee to come out and measure, you know what they do, don't you? They bring the sticks out. That's what they call them, the yard to gain. They bring the sticks out. And what you do is you take the down box and you put it at the farthest point where the stick was. So if they didn't make it, you bring it back and you put it there and then you put the down box where it needs to be. Well, this guy comes running out on the field to measure for a first down with the down box. I said to myself, oh, I would have loved to have been there to see Wayne's reply. Because, you know, what, would, what are we going to do? We're going to shoot a, a laser beam across there to find out if it's made it or not? Somebody along the line lied. Somebody made it look very impressive that he was better than he was. Because... I've been a headlinesman. You don't ever bring the down box out onto the field. There's nothing you can do with it. You know? And so that's the kind of stuff, you know, we want to try to impress people. Have you ever met people 
like you've done this and you've done that and you mention what you've done. Oh, well, I've done that and, and even better. And you find out they're 20 years old and they've done everything in life that can be done. <laughs> and they're good at every single thing. That's what it's talking about. Don't be like that. <clears throat> Don't try to impress other people. And in verse 4, he's going to say this. Don't look out only for your own interest. But take an interest in others also. In other words, be a servant. Don't think, what I should be able to do that. How many of you know God gives gifts to his people? They're not so that you can wear a badge around and say, why, I'm Apostle Dave Baker. Well, good for you. I am Prophet Connie Wilborn. I'm only going to pick on people I know, okay? But you know what I mean? we got to wear this badge like that gives us significance and importance. What gives us importance and what gives us significance is the fact that we are children of God, that Jesus calls us his friends. That's what gives us significance. That's what gives us importance. And so when we see other things, here, here's something I, I said a long time ago, and, and I want you to do it, and I continue to do it. When you drive by another church and you go, oh, man, they don't do it like we do. You say, Lord, whatever you're doing there, continue to do it. Help them grow. Help them to participate in the body of Christ. Jesus is only building one church. It's not Lakeland Vineyard. It's not First Presbyterian. It's not Victory. I could go on and on, couldn't I? He's building one church. And so what he's doing in that, he needs all of us healthy. All the parts of the body of Christ need to be healthy so that we can accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And that is what? Proclamation of his word, a demonstration of, of his word. Do you know that we're, um, we're vineyard folks and we're radical middle people? You go, oh yeah, what's that? Radical middle people is you take the best of the word and you take the best of the spirit dimension and you bring them together. It's not just word only. It's not just spirit only. It's both. And so, you know, we can be, how many of you, you can quote the word. I mean, you can quote it, man. You can give people this passage and that passage. But your life doesn't look like what you're quoting. And you know what? If it doesn't, people don't care. They don't care if you can quote it in Greek or Aramaic. Or even in Hebrew in the Old Testament, they don't care. What they want to see is, okay, what is your life like? And, and, and so then you got that dimension. Well, you got the other dimension, like, woo, you know, you're walking, oh my gosh, you know, it's both and. I want to tell you this you cannot walk 
under the leadership of Christ and not be affected emotionally. It's impossible. To know Him is to experience Him. And each of us are going to experience Him in a different kind of way. Some are prone to raise their hands. That's wonderful. Some are not. Some are going to kneel. Some are not. Those kind of things. But he blends it all together, and it takes both. And I hate, I hate those arguments, you know, like, well, hey, we're people of the Word. Well, good. Because if you read the Word and you see what's going on there, it makes an emotional impact on people. I mean, you know, when Peter and John went to the temple to pray, and that beggar was, was there, and, and he touches it, he wanted money. Because that's all I knew how to beg for. And Peter says, you know, silver and gold have we none, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And did the guy go, that's a good word. (laughs) No, it says this. He went walking and leaping and praising God. You know what? Somebody gets touched by God. I'm going to tell you, you're going to walk and leap and praise him. It's just that's just the way it is. It's it's difficult to hold it in. I mean, what was he gonna say? Well that that's real nice. Thank you that I can walk. Never done it in my life, and I really appreciate that. No. Oh. That's why, you know, when somebody gets baptized, that's an awesome thing. When when somebody receives Christ, that's an awesome thing. It's way more awesome than we allow for at times. So he says, Don't look out only for your own interest, but take interest in others too. If you turn back in your Bibles to Romans 12, it's going to come up there so you don't have to, but Paul's going to talk about 21 different things. I'm going to go over real fast. Beginning in verse 9, he says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Ooh. Did he really say that? Really love them. If you really love them... You're going to hate what's wrong. You're going to hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring others. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. I could stop there for a second. You know, if you're still in the workforce, I'm not there anymore. People say how you like it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But listen, if you're in the workforce, work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. In fact, another place it says this, everything you do, do as unto the Lord. In other words, what you want to do in that position that you're in, instead of grinding against it, what you want to do is bring glory to God. 
You say, well, Dave, you don't know about stuff like, oh, I know about stuff like that. I was talk, we were talking to Andy the other day. You cannot believe some of the jobs that I have had. You know? And they weren't all real pleasant. And I never wanted them to ask me, did you go to college? Yeah. Oh, in fact, I have a master's degree. I didn't want them to know that. You know? While I'm out there bush hogging and cutting grass and putting furniture together. You know? But in that, I didn't grind against it, though, really. I didn't see it like, well, geez, you should not be doing any menial tasks like this, Dave. No. I belong to the Lord. That's where he had me at that point. So you go on. So you don't moan and groan because guess what? They'll never guess you're a citizen of the kingdom if that's the attitude that you have. How many of you know this? Our attitudes sometimes keep people out of the kingdom. They can't believe you're a Christian. I I had a ball game one time, a college ball game, and this guy that was the coach was supposed to be a Christian, and the guy that was working with me was a non-Christian. He asked me after the game, he said, that guy a Christian? Because he surely didn't look like it. I had a young man one time that I coached, and he coached basketball, and he asked me, he said, he'd always call me coach. He'd say, coach, how do you think I'm doing? I said, Frank, you really want to know? I said, you're doing awful. I said, because you're a Christian, and there's no evidence whatsoever that that's true. In your life. I said you're not coaching like a Christian. You're not acting like a Christian. I said you ask me. I'm telling you. And he appreciated. My my honesty. And so we're different. We're intentionally. Different. He goes on. He says. um, Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager eager to to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy for those who are happy. Weep for those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Because guess what? Most of us are ordinary, aren't we? Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with each other. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. And finally, in verse 21... Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, back to the original passage. Okay, how do we do that? How we do those things? Well, he's going to give us two ways we do it. The first is, he says, be humble. Be humble. 
Now, don't be proud that you're humble. Because then you're not humble. No, humble is like Jesus. Jesus would say this. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you want people to say, if they've seen you, they've seen Jesus? See, that's, that's what we have to look like. That's how we have to act. Be humble. Be a servant. Think of others better than yourself. And then he ends up. He started, when I, when I started this, I started with an imperative, and I'm going to finish with an imperative. Verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Now, we could go down here and talk about the canonic theory and, and all that. That's not where we're going to go, though. You go, good, because I don't even know what that is. That's the emptying out of Jesus, what he didn't grasp to. I want to, I want to tell you, in, in that, Jesus was always God, and he was always man. He never was not God. He was, at a point, not man. The things that he didn't grasp onto were those prerogatives that were his as God. See, because if we're not careful, we can make him less than God, but he was never less than God. He was always God. But he functioned under the presence of his Father and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's why he could say, I never do anything on my own. I only do what the Father's doing. And he shows me what he's doing because he loves me. And I want you to know this. If you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Father loves you. And he wants to show you what he's doing. And he wants to want you to join him in what he's doing because you have been created for good works in Christ Jesus. You go, well, I don't know what they are. Well, let me give you a little clue here. Get alone with the Father and see what he has to say. Because he's got some good things for you to do. And here's the thing. One of the sayings in the vineyard is there's, the meat is on the street. You know what that means? It's out there where people are. You want to use the gifts of the Spirit? Say, God, open my eyes that I can see what's going on in people's lives so that you can accomplish your purposes. Because I want you to know this. There are people out there, they need to hear a word from God. Here's the, here's the problem that we have in the church sometimes. We just want to give each other a word. And some of you, you've got a whole binder of words. And you're not doing any of them. He doesn't give words just so we can accumulate words. He gives words to activate the reality out there where people need to hear it. How many of you know the world we live in is broken? It's broken, it's broken, it's broken. 
And so there are people out there, they need to hear what God has to say to them. They need to hear a word of hope. They need to hear about joy and peace. You know, and generally they're not going to hear that from their buddies that are hanging around doing stuff who don't know Jesus. And so they need to hear a word. They, they need a word of knowledge. They need a word of wisdom. They need that released out there. And one of my, one of my prayers is continually, God, show me what you're doing in the lives of people around me that I don't know necessarily so that I can be used by you to touch their lives. Because the greatest miracle that can ever happen is a person accepts Christ as their Savior. That's the greatest miracle that can ever happen because that locks them in for eternity. And so you want to see miracles? Then expect God to use you to lead people to Christ. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. I'm going to end with this. This is one of my, I'm not going to say my favorite, but I like it a lot. It's a Christmas song. It's called Prince of Heaven. It's by Hillsong Worship. If I could sing, I'd sing it to you, but I can't. So I'll just read it. It says, Earth in shadow, restlessly hold, labors waiting in silent hope for the promise it longs to know what heaven holds. Then angels in holy haste lift their anthem. Your Savior lays in a manger in a humble form. Your King is born. Hail the Prince of Heaven comes Angel choirs sound the call. Well, this babe wrapped in a cloth is the incarnate word of God. All the kingdom and its power resting in this child, Prince of Heaven, Jesus, hope of the world. This means mercy in fullness form, loving kindness forevermore. Son of David and Son of God, he is Christ the Lord. Hail the Prince of Heaven comes. Angel choirs sound the call. For this babe wrapped in a cloth is the incarnate Word of God. All of the kingdom and its power resting now in this child. Prince of Heaven. Jesus. Hope. Of what? The world. Jesus. That one who humbled himself and became in the form of a human. That's the hope for the world we live in. Stand with me. Thank you. God, that in your divine plan, Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That in the fullness of time, 
You had him come. And you ushered in the reality of the kingdom. Our redemption was brought in in the birth of your son in human form. And yes, like Chuck said, it would ultimately lead to the cross. But you came so that we could be redeemed. And now we have that great hope in us. We've experienced your love and your joy and your peace. And now I pray, let us take it to the world. Your desire is that none would perish. Let that be our heart's desire. Like Jamie said, none would perish. None would perish. None would perish. None would perish. Open our eyes, God. Help us to see those that you'd use us to touch and do it for your glory's sake. And I pray that at the end of 2019, we'll be more like you than we are at this present moment. And all of it for your glory, we pray. Amen.